we are in dire straits. I don't care how we look at it. We are in dire straits. And it will take people with understanding and, and uh, dare I say, love for this planet and for the people that are on this planet. We aren't going, you can't fight this war by being negative. You've got to embrace it, embrace where we are and move on through it because there's no other, there's, that's the way out. There's no other way out. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. All right, so let's dive in and get started. Today's guest is David King. David is the garden master of the Learning Garden in West Los Angeles. He supervises the garden's growth and works to create a single unified garden. He teaches people that we will soon need to grow at least a portion of our food. And David was also featured in the wonderfully inspiring documentary, The Need to Grow. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Yeah, it's well, it's great to be with you. And and David, I'd love you to start by just telling people a little bit about the learning garden that you work at in Venice High School. I mean, this is an amazing place. Just tell the listeners about the learning garden. Surely. Um, most of the grounds of, of the uh, of the Los Angeles School District, you go in and there's cement from, from light, from, from edge to edge, uh, asphalted, uh, whatever. It's not anything to do with nature. Uh, and at Venice High School, large high school, happens to just have uh, two, two and a half, somewhere along in there, acres that are unused. Um, and that's where they actually taught gardening classes. But the gardening classes only were nine students or 12, 15, 20 students. Two and a half acres is a hard thing to fill up if there's 21 of you. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot of work. So um, I was tapped. They had a, a space they put aside for a Chinese medicinal garden. And uh, I know nothing about Chinese herbs, but I was teaching at that, at that school I was teaching a botany course and they said, well, you're the one who knows about plants. We want you to start growing these plants and we'll put them out into this area and we'll have uh, a Chinese medicinal garden. Um, I know nothing of Chinese medicinal plants. They could come up and bite me on the butt. I wouldn't have any clue, but uh, I said, okay, I'll try that out. Now, mind you, I'm on the phone. I've come home. I'm on the phone all over the United States going, Hey, you've got a climate similar to this plant's climate. When do you plant it? When do you harvest it? How do I do this? You know? And, uh, and finally we started, we got some plants going and I'm going out there. I lectured to them on how to start things from seed, how to care for plants and that good stuff. And one day I was out there and I was going, wow, this is a pretty neat place. I ought to do something. And so I, just got a little sign that said garden master and tacked it up on the wall of this shed that was ready to fall down and, and moved in there. And that was my office. And, uh, and we started the learning garden. There was a woman who had two children in the school. They're now out of college. And she came along and she says, I've wanted this to be changed for so long. 
I've wanted this to be a garden for so long. And so with Julie Mann and myself, she's really technically the boss. I'm just the, the, the crew chief, right? And uh, we have that two and a half acres. Now, before we got it, they took everything out. They drove through with caterpillars and tracked vehicles using that site to build another building next door. And so now when we've gotten the garden, you go down that far, what, about an inch, and it's like hitting rock. And what it is is compacted soil. It's been that compacted. So uh, right now, a lot of what we're doing is, is growing things to break up that soil. All soils in California, for the most part, do not have nitrogen in them. So we're planting nitrogen, nitrogen building plants and also plants that can break up that clod, those clods and bring about some sense of tilth to the garden. That's, that's great. The whole and thing just settles on one point, And that is that, that patience is required for gardening. Um, I was joking the other day and I said, you know, if we get done with this, either I'm going to be an idiot or, or, or a rock star. <laughs> and I, you know, but it's a matter of having patience. If you're patient enough with it, then the plants will come around. And that is the way to do it because that's the way it would happen in nature. That's how these plants are tied to us and tied to nature. Right. Not right. a one shot. You know, David, you also mentioned to me that they were going to basically, they were going to, at one point, they were going to tear down your garden. They were going to take it and build, um, just tell what happened because sort of a miracle <laughs> happened. This I get, you start this and I start getting goosebumps, right? It was, it was one hell of a deal. There is a class of people in the Unified School District that do not like school gardens. For whatever reason, they want to take those gardens and turn them into buildings. Um, and I could speculate with you why that's financially important for them, for their livelihood, but I don't wanna go down that road. I just wanna say that that's what they want. They want to have buildings. Well, two years ago in Los Angeles, the teachers in LA, you might've heard about it, went on strike. It was kind of an acrimonious uh, strike. Uh, at the end of the strike, the, in the uh, compromises made, one part was no part of any green space on unified school district property can be turned into something other than green space, which effectively killed their buildings ideas on this two and a half acres. And we were there already and we said, uh, excuse us, but we'd like to plant there. And we got a lot of, a lot of public buy-in. And, and I do want to say that, um, gosh, I choke up, that before we got our approval on that, and we were talking with, and the, the Unified School District came and talked to the, uh, to the people that were going to try to turn this into, a, into, into another set of buildings and we got commitments from them that if we got in there and did something we would we would probably be able to keep it so that's how we that's that's how this started and they were so full of, of praise for the programs that we had put on um, the the whole garden honestly depends on all these wonderful volunteers that show up and say hey I know how to do so-and-so, and then they fit in. And, and, and so we've got a lot of diversity in people, diversity of, of, uh, 
of path of learning, diversity all around us. There's still that Chinese medicinal garden over there. There's a, uh, a, a fabric garden where we grow the like flax, flax seed, that's linen, uh, cotton, um, and dyeing plants, that is to say dyeing plants for different colors, not dyeing plants, but, you know, and so, and also we have, a, we have many other gardens, little niches here and there that talk about, that teach you about plants and growing plants and communing with plants and being a part of plants. And you can see, I'm not excited about this. I can see that, Dave. And, and, you know, <laughs> and you know, it's so interesting because it's, it's, it gives, I mean, it gives, it should give everybody hope. Yes. That, you know, because there, I'm sure this thing plays out in different communities all around the country, all around the world, where they want to build buildings on a beautiful garden. And it's like David versus Goliath. Mm-hmm. No pun intended, David, no pun right intended. here. And, you know, it's just wonderful. And so and so the students and everybody is a is a part of it. Right. I mean, this is a full. Right. We have we have we are we it's integral to the to the plan of the garden to have young people, students in the garden and learning, uh, learning about these different facets from the garden. You know, when we first got there, uh, we were embraced by the Italian teacher, the Japanese teacher um, and a few others. They would come through the garden. The um, the Italian teacher, besides stealing my heart, oh, my God, was just (laughs) she but she was to listen to her talk about the vegetables in Italian, it was like, oh yeah, because, you know, they're named in Italian, not Italian, they're named in Latin, right? And so this is the closest to, to hearing them like used in sentences that I, that, you know, that I've ever had. It was a lot of fun. It was wow. a lot of fun. So I got to tell, so everybody, the listeners, a few weeks back, we had um, Rob Herring, the director of The Need to Grow, uh, of uh, an amazing documentary, and I hope everybody had a chance to check it out. Anyways, David was featured in that movie, and that's how I came to know about David, and his story that he tells is, is the, in, me, in my opinion, was the, was the story that really hooked me in the movie the most. Um, it's a very, it's a very moving story, David. If you wouldn't mind, maybe tell your story um, about, you know, the job interview and just sort of wandering into the garden. I, I mean, it's just a beautiful. Uh, I'd love for you to tell that. Well, it was a, it, it, it certainly looking back, it's beautiful. But boy, at the time, it sure wasn't. It was like I had failed in everything, and it still it brings. It just yeah, you get emotional about it. I had gone over to. I was trying to get a job. I was sober about two years, I think, maybe three. And all I wanted was a job. I just wanted the job. I wanted somebody to pay me to do something. And and, uh, and uh, I was going to all these appointments and blah, blah, blah. And it, you know, and if you've ever done any amount of, of job hunting at all, there comes a point in many interviews where you notice the lights go out, right? They're sitting there nodding and they're, ta- they're, they're thinking about going bowling tonight or whatever but they ain't listening to you and um and it's it's it was very difficult for me to handle that so this one day it was a cloudy day a rare cloudy day in los angeles and um i went out got a sandwich and uh, something to drink and drove up to this spot it was the top of a large hill where in front of me all the way down for over a block at a pretty steep descent is this garden called um the um all hell what's it called well anyway it's there okay and uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll imagine it yeah just use your imagination i sat there and ate my sandwich and started to rain i got the uh 
I drank my soda or whatever it was. And, and without a raincoat or whatever, I just got up out of the car and walked out into the garden in the rain. And I really felt massively despondent. But at some point, three rows down or whenever, I began to sense that these plants talked to me. I could see over there that that plant was not being grown well, that that plant needed more nitrogen or they needed less nitrogen or whatever it needed. But I did came to me that that's what it, that's what was was going on there. A little bit farther down, the, the seeing this growing there and going, aha, they've got it, you know, or whatever. And I spent, I don't know, a good 45 minutes just walking around the rain. And I knew the plants were talking to me and before I'd had that happen where the plants, you know, like seemed to be the most important thing in my life, but I, I went off and uh, tried to become a rock and roll star and make myself famous and, and get dough. Uh, and that didn't happen. But, you know, when on the inside you are, on the inside, when you are doing what you are supposed to be doing as per your life, this all comes together by simply acknowledging where you are with the plants. And that for me has been the most one outstandingly healing moment of my life. Also brought me one-to-one -one with my purpose in life and what I knew and what I would could do as a caretaker. Mm. So to this day, uh, I am the garden master at the Venice Learning Garden. Uh, the the idea of a garden master comes from the uh, community gardens where there'll be one person who assigns the, the details for the different jobs that need to be done in the garden. And also it's supposed to be the one who's the smartest in the garden. So you can say, oh, that's a weed. That's not a weed. That's a, that's a good bug. That's a bad bug or whatever. Um, so we struggle through with me, but at any rate, you know, oh, I don't know what it is. Let's keep it and find out. And, uh, and that was, that is remarkable. I don't want to use up a lot of time, but that was remarkable and I do want to say that to me, um, that this this means this means um, this gives me a sense that I am in tune, even though I'm in, even though I'm in Los Angeles. You know, it's it's like the plants are here, I'm here. It may be Los Angeles, it could be you know uh, Topeka, Kansas, but here we are, and this is where you know you might as well begin where you are because you can't begin anywhere else. Mm. So. And I loved how you, Ellie, you said, I think anybody that spends time in nature, gardening, I mean, the notion of the plants talking to you. And um, I think, I mean, I think that's the case. You know, it's like if we're, if we're open to listening. Um, but, but you've also said that um, in talking about healing and how this was part of your healing journey. And, and you said in the movie that we need a, we need a soul healing and and I just love to get your sense of what you mean by that, David. H how do we get this soul this this soul healing to happen individually and maybe collectively? Well, I think the soul healing happens collectively, whether we want it to or not. Um, and I don't think you can do it by yourself, because I think one of the things that is a one of the things that's most important, at least it was most important for me to learn, is that. Um, I have myself can do nothing that I have to be a part of something in order to, to have the wholeness. Mm, how do I want to say this? 
that I can't achieve wholeness on my own, that if I was Robinson Crusoe, there would never be a healing at the, on the island because there wasn't anything to bounce it off of. There wasn't anything to reciprocate. You know, it's just, it's like if you have a, a thread, a, a rope, and you're throwing it up and throwing it up and throwing it up, there's nothing to hit. So you don't hit anything. And, and so, well, yeah, I think that that's, that's the, the most important thing I could say. I don't, I mean, it's more of a point of being open, available, rather than trying to push. You know, if you, if there's the, you know, if there's the person you've always wanted to meet, you've always wanted to meet them and, and that they walk right by you, well, then it isn't time yet. Right. I mean, and you can't say, well, that was a bad deal. No, 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 no. Uh, because we're ascribing too much power to, to the negative. And, and that's why you have such great leaders like Martin Luther King, right? That stands above and beyond because of his, his, his sheer willingness to, to put his hands in, in, in uh, the fate. You get what I'm saying? I do. I do. Absolutely. Yeah. I get a little tripped up in the words there, but, but, you know, I just, I think that we are at the precipice. We're going to have, we, we are signed on, whether we like it or not, we are signed on some, from some, for some very big changes right now. You know, they're telling people to shut off their air conditioners because there isn't enough power to, to run the air conditioners and the street lights at the same time. Well, they chose the, the <laughs> thank God, the air conditioners. Um, <laughs> But you never know about these people, right? Absolutely. But I do see, I do see like places like Los Angeles being broke up into little communes, of, you know, and and uh, the the main the main uh, source of income is is the vegetable, right? You know, you're out there bartering vegetables or fruits or whatever. You know, the the pre the wonderful thing is here, if we get the water in, we can grow anything here practically. Right. Absolutely. That's where I come from, and that's that's what I try to. That's why I am emphatic about we need to grow some of our own food. Absolutely, I mean, so we're 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 in a time right now. I, I mean, where we you know we we got a glimpse of it during the beginning of this whole this whole pandemic thing, and uh, I think absolutely we uh, you know we're going to be forced, right, David? I mean, we're going to be forced to do it whether we like it or not. It's coming. It, I mean, it's coming, and just like um, the conditions under um, global warming, right? We can't go out and stick our finger in the dike, right? That's too big of a hole already, and uh, and we need we need concrete movement on those points. And to my way of thinking, that if we do not begin to scale back in this present time shortly we will be forced to pull back and that won't be nearly as pleasant i'm not right. saying that giving up to begin with would be pleasant but it'll be a lot harder when we're told oh no no air conditioning this year those mm. things are on those things are in the pipe they're in the right. pipeline they're coming our way and you know i see a lot of a lot of children i think my god what are their lives going to be like mm. you know and these things weigh on me I mean, I don't have any children of my own. I have plants, but uh, these weigh on that weighs on me to to see this happening, and we're not changing. We're not changing fast enough. 
Wait, you're absolutely right. And, and so, um, I mean, what do you think? So what do you think the learning garden, David, that you're, that you're doing has to teach us? Nature. Nature always works in plenitude. Nature always works with the, the best foot forward. I mean, nature takes, does, does what it does. And if we watch what it does and emulate what it does, we would be better off. We would understand a lot more than what we do today. That's why I think you can hear some hear a plant telling you something. It's like you get in their wavelength. And I just thought of the Leonard Cohen song. She gets you on her wavelength and she lets the river say you've always been her lover. Beautiful. I love Leonard Cohen. The song is Suzanne. It's Leonard Cohen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Leonard Cohen is great. Yeah, he's 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 wonderful. And he used to live in LA, I believe, right? Didn't he used to uh yeah, he, he used to meditate at the um the Zen Center up in the the mountains up there. Yeah. Yeah. We we miss we miss him. Absolutely. Well, you know, David, I wanted to just, you know, you you experience this soul healing walking through nature. You know, if there's someone listening right now who's um who's feeling a little down and out and a little disconnected, and, and they were sitting with us right now, David, what might you tell them? Now that's a good question. Thank you. I think I think you just I think you need to start with um, start where you are. Uh, there's a great quote about that. Start where you are because you can't start anywhere else. And I love that. And, uh, but I think also that, that if a person wants, when you look at a garden in, that, in its natural state, or, if it, in it, or even if it's just pretty well unkempt, there's a beauty in that that I can't tell you about but i can say go look and i think just being open to it being open to it you would you will find what you need to find but you have to be open i also think when we talk about plants in general if we just take a second here and and say trees you know the wisdom in an old tree is so much beyond what we think it is you know that that um a simple like i taught this course in botany i was telling you about earlier and one of the uh, exercises we did was to go out and sit under a tree and try to imagine or to actually uh be at one with the tree in other words have the tree telling you stuff and you telling the tree stuff and, and there's a lot of people who think just on that account alone, I should be locked up uh, in, the, in the county jail. But, but if, you, if you study any kind of work of spirituality, practically, you will get trees mentioned up there as being creatures. If you have a huge forest and over on the east side of the forest, an insect arrives that's going to hurt the trees, is going to kill off trees. Within a matter of days, the message has traveled across the entire forest to the west end of the forest. And these trees, you can tell, are making antibodies to fight this insect, this infection, whatever it is. They're doing that. And there are trees here and there that will give themselves up to allow the rest of the forest to live. We don't see that in a forest because, one, we're not there. 
right? We don't go to the forest, but if you're out in there, you can you can find this. And furthermore, when it comes to harvesting trees, harvesting trees, I hate that word. When it comes to that, they're taking the biggest trees, which of course are the oldest, which of course are the wisest. Disagree me with me or not? That is something we need to pay attention to. <laughs> Absolutely. 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 I, oh, without question. You can see I get excited about these things. I can see it. I, I, I do too. This is great. So David, something else that you do that, that people should know about is you're a seed saver. Yes. Um, and you have, and, and um, maybe talk about your seed library and why it's so critical for, you know, to, to be saving seeds right now. There's the, the um, organization is the Seed Library of Los Angeles, which we affectionately call SLOA. In 2010, towards the end of the year, I um, had been reading up on, on the loss of seed diversity, and I uh, sent out a letter to uh, about 2,000 people in the LA uh, area, maybe it's a bit fewer than that, asking them if they were interested in forming a seed library and then to meet on this Saturday in December of 2010. The, we had about 40 people, which I thought was amazing because it, it was raining, right? And it was cold. And the only meeting space we had was outside. So we're outside in the cold and we're talking seed saving. The one thing that, that I, I want more than anything else, we started the seed library and I was the uh, chairperson and I want it to be clear that I never expected to be the chairperson, but I want everybody, I want people to join in and be the chairperson. Right now we have a lovely young lady, Azita Jolie, who is our, our uh, chair, but um, the pandemic really threw a wrench in us. We were having tough times before that and, uh, and it continues. We still haven't gotten over the, the, the COVID thing, yeah. But the thing, here's the deal. If you look at any, oh gosh, there's a chart, National Geographic, starts at the bottom with these labels of different vegetables that we eat. And the graph has different sizes of, of colored areas that show how many, not species, how many um, types of vegetables we had in diversity, right? Like I think it was like 216 different kinds of beans, right? That sort of thing. And it comes on up to the top where it shows the amount of diversity we have today and the dis disappearance of so many cultivars is scary. You start out with something like um, 300 different kinds of corn that have been grown commercially and then come up to today commercially to uh, 12 different kinds of corn. This is the nature of hers, a vacuum, and nature deals in diversity. Diversity, you know, planting similar things, but not the same things, um, taking care of the same things, making sure those seeds are brought through to the next generation has been a part of the, the history of humans in this planet from the very first time we, we came out of the goo. Uh, and I would say that some haven't come out of the goo yet, but starting in 1930, we had the stability, the most incredible stability of vegetable varieties, and there were bunches of them. But come to today, 
very few are left over. In the 1930s, farmers could buy their seeds finally from a, from a, a seed store. Prior to that, they saved their own seeds. They, in fact, were very proud of the seeds they saved, right? They made certain that these seeds weren't corrupted, that these seeds were, were what they said they were. And corn is a good example because corn is wind pollinated, which means it's promiscuous as hell. And so that's what, that's corn for us. And so many other things like corn, where the abundance down to nothing. And at that time, then companies began to realize that they could make a better profit if they were selling hybrids. And what we're specifically talking about are first generation hybrids where you take mom corn and dad corn and combine the two according to, you know what this one does, you know what this one does, you put them together and they do better than those two. And this, this is called a hybrid, H-Y-B-R-I-D, hybrid. A hybrid corn, however, cannot be reproduced by itself because they've made this cross, um, they've made this cross using techniques that don't exist in nature. There's no way you're gonna ha have this happen in nature. So you get this super plant and it grows really good. However, it's also very weak. As a consequence, you pile, you pile on the fertilizers, you pile on the, the uh, insecticides, all that sort of thing to get your crop through to fruition. And in those three acts, you are doing what no farmer in history has ever done. And we are losing diversity. One of nature's strong points, diversity. One more time, it's diversity. Secondly, you are um, killing the soil. The soil exists as a, as a as a home for seeds in that it has worms, it has bacteria, it has many different kinds of critters living in that soil. The help they're, they're, um, they help that corn grow to fruition and have a good stock and good good harvest. But you kill them, and then you replace them with nitrogen you know, just liquid nitrogen or whatever. And you, and you do all these things to get a good harvest or a great harvest, but it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. You can do that for as long as you, you think you can do that, but you're losing the soil. We have deposited so much of Iowa's farm soil down in the Gulf of Mexico via the rivers that run down there to the Mex Gulf of Mexico. And we're, we're now scraping the worst part possible soil that we could possibly have gotten. And it's thanks to our, to our own misunderstanding of how to handle soils and fertilizers. And it's a problem. You know, I, I, I hope I can impress whoever is listening to this. I hope I can impress upon you that the loss of that topsoil is one of the most devastating things that has happened to the United States since we guys showed up. And you're going to see it jump over next in the next couple of years, 10 years maybe or so, to the Ogallala uh, of aquifer, which is losing water. And now the water is getting down below the plant roots where they can plant roots can get it. And that area is you, if you drive through it during harvest time is, is, is the wheat, the wheat fields of, of our country. We are in dire straits. I don't care how we look at it. We are in dire straits. And it will take people with understanding and, and um, dare I say love for this planet and for the people that are on this planet. We aren't going, you can't fight this war 
by being negative. You've got to embrace it, embrace where we are and move on through it because there's no other, there's, that's the way out. There's no other way out. Mm. And this means, of course, we have to contend with the oil pumpers, with the water push polluters and all that sort of thing and the politicians on the take. So, hey, nothing else new. <laughs> right. <laughs> David, thank you. That's, wow, that's so powerful and uh, needs to be said and, um, you know, needs to be heard. Yeah. So, David, let me ask you a couple final questions here sure. that I that I ask most of the people on the show. Um, what are some of the daily practices or rituals, aside from, you know, gar- working in the garden, but some of those practices that help to keep you more grounded and peaceful. I walk my dog. I play with my dog. (laughs) I feed my dog, give the dog water. Sometimes I bathe the dog. Actually, without him, I'd be a a screaming mess Uh, because he really does. He he pulls through for me all the time. He can tell when I'm in a mood and he pulls through. Uh, He's also very bossy, but don't tell him I said that. (laughs) um no i think for myself i pray with my feet i pray with my hands um it is now it is this that i do now and try to and try to keep focused on what i'm doing not what they're doing uh which is hard which is hard because it's so much easier to say well those sobs they did this they did that they did the other thing what are you going to do what are we going to do what are we going to do and uh and now you know i'm uh upper 60s and uh, I feel like it's in, it, I need to spread, this has to be spread to, to people other than me because I'm not going to be around that long. And uh, hopefully a garden, the garden we're growing gives the peace that people need to uh, rearm themselves as it were. Beautiful. David, um, if you could travel back in time around 50 years or so, what words of wisdom would your current self share with your younger self? Mm, get on it now. Don't wait. Get on it now. Do something. Do something now. And be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. I mean, you've got to start somewhere. Absolutely. David, what's the best way for people who want to learn more about you and your work with the uh, Learning Garden? Where, where should they go? We have uh, a, a Facebook page, thelearninggarden.org. Uh, I have a page, gosh, I'm not even sure of the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We can link up in the show notes when you, um, if you want to send that to me, we can. Sure, I'll do that. Because I'm sure people are going to want to uh, connect with you. Well, I feel, uh, I do, it, when people do that, I really feel blessed. I, you know, I just, you know, I don't, I don't consider myself a very large thinker. I'm not a Einstein or like that. Uh, just put the sea in the ground and keep moving. David, it was a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, mine, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you for having <laughs> me. And, and, and uh, I hope this all turns out well. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. 
explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone. <laughs>